So imagine, just imagine that you are engaged to get married. You have sent out the wedding invites and more. But three months, three months before the big day, your fiance calls off the wedding. Well, that's exactly what happened to my guest, Alexis Kara, and she talks all about that on this episode of the Best Thing Podcast. We have some amazing moments in this conversation that I know you're going to get a lot of inspiration from, a lot of key takeaways and things that can help you in your life as well. Really, you're going to love this conversation. Hey, I want to let you know that every single week I send out motivational text messages that not only motivate, but they also inspire People absolutely love them. If you would like to receive them, all you have to do is send me a text message at 310-564-7124. Once again, 310-564-7124. That information is in the show notes. And also, I'm going to invite you to head over to my website, theantonionevs.com, where you can sign up to receive a free, amazing handout Five questions that can change your life. They won't cost you anything except for your email address. So head on over to theantonionevs.com where I also send out new information every single week. Okay, without further ado, let's get to episode 69 of the Best Thing Podcast with Alexis Kara. Hey everyone, welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm the author of Stop Living on Autopilot, a speaker and coach. Each week, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. Now, this week's guest is a friend of mine, and I'm excited to have her on the Best Thing and she just happens to be married to a dear friend of mine as well. Alexis Kara is an actor, dancer, and choreographer. She has performed in major Broadway shows like Wicked, and her television credits include series regular roles on shows like Mixology on ABC, Recovery Road on Freeform, and guest roles on big shows like Grey's Anatomy, Castle, Criminal Minds, and NCIS. She also co-starred in the critically acclaimed FX miniseries Fosse Verdon, starring Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams. As an entrepreneur, she is co-founder of a performing arts intensive called Broadway Arts Community. Her deepest desire is to inspire young artists to create from their heart and to learn about having confidence from the inside out, Alexis, Carol, welcome to the best thing. <laughs> wow. Can you introduce me every morning when I wake up? <laughs> you know what? We should have like those affirmations, like when somebody reintroduces us to ourselves to remind us of all the glory and how amazing that we are. That's actually a pretty dope idea. I love when I'm reading your introduction. It says to inspire young artists to create from their heart and learn about having confidence from the inside out. So let's start with this first question. Did you always know that you were going to be a performer growing up? Like, did, can your mom mm. say, oh, I knew Alexis was going to be a performer yeah. or, or you knew as well? Well, okay. First of all, thank you for having me on. Let me just say thanks. And it's I'm, an on, I'm honored to be amongst all of your guests and to be a part of your community since community is so important and your listeners and I'm addicted to your podcast. So hello, everybody out there. 
Um, and thank you for welcoming me into the best thing community. Two, um, I the answer, did I always know? Okay, I, I don't think I knew you know, at age four, but I've always been very performative. I liked, I've liked attention since I was a little kid. My kid also likes attention. (laughs) And, um, so I think initially it also came from just my mom putting me into dance class because I needed some way to kind of get out all this intensity and energy that I had. And, um, it, it, you know, it's, I, I started dancing at age two and a half and I'm 40 and I haven't stopped. So I literally have pretty much, I don't think I've danced every day of my life, but it's a dance is just a part and and performing and kind of, um, I'm just open and effusive. It's just a part of, of who I am to the, my core. It's a part of who you are to your core. And I'm always curious for, for performers and there are portions of my life when I've been a performer as well, but talk about that transition when it goes from being a part of my life, I'm a kid, maybe I'm studying this in school, like you did at Yale and then all of a sudden, it's not just part of my life. I'm doing this for joy. But now, mm. oh, this is my profession. This yeah. is my job. This is how I'm going to earn income. So I always wonder, is anything lost when that mm-hmm. transition happens from, if you want to say, from performance to commerce? Yeah, that's a beautiful, succinct way of putting it. Um, and it's a doozy. I will say, I, fe- I will say going from being a, a kid uh, performing to an adult professional, the whole goal and why I probably started Broadway Arts Community is to reclaim and refine the joy that you had when you were younger. So it's kind of like a circular process. And I think sometimes it happens in one, you know, audition, I can find it and then I'll go a couple months without finding it. And so it's just like an ever, a never ending cycle, I think. Um, because I will also say as a kid, um, and for any of you listeners, if they're if they have kids who are into theater and, and stuff, I think as a kid, I had a I put a lot of pressure on myself even then. And so, the, a lot of the things I remember feeling in high school and at dance competitions, I was I I've been working to undo the, those things from childhood. So it's not like in childhood I just had this innocent effervescence of performance. I was I had a lot of performance anxiety as a kid, tons. Um, I would get on stage and kind of just like fall apart sometimes. And, but I still knew I loved it. And I, and I'm just such a, I'm so stubborn that I would just keep, keep at it. And I think as an adult, as a performer, and I think that entrepreneurs in some ways are performers, like anytime you're trying to sell your business or get clients or, or explain and share what your purpose is and why you're starting something, especially when you're going from side hustle to making that your, your thing, I think that that's a performance. That's a dance, if you will. And I think, you know, I I, I can't remember, God, what listener it was in, in your podcast, but it's like, it's the U-shaped curve. It's like that excitement. And then we get to a place where you realize it's day in, day out work. And it's the small things and, and, and habits and things that we do daily in our lives and our businesses that really do add up. And it's sometimes very hard to lose sight of those. Um, Absolutely. You bring up an interesting point about the whole notion of refinding the joy. And I think it's so funny that regardless of what your profession is, I would say that a lot of adults and even a big theme of my book, Stop Living on Autopilot, are people looking to refine the joy, to find that boldness, to find that courage that they had many times in their youth that 
I guess, dissipates as we get older and we, we're on that conveyor belt of life and we enter the real world. And so mm. I think many of us are truly finding the joy. Uh, cliche question I want to ask you, though, I guess, to follow up on the joy. Yeah. How often do you find those moments when you're performing or dancing? And I think it's what's cool to watch is when you post your videos on Instagram, <laughs> dancing is like you look free. Mm. Like, so I'm curious, how often as a performer do you find yourself like life, a crying baby that I have, dinner that needs to be cooked, whatever right. woes that may be there, mm. they go away even if for a fraction of a second. Is that fleeting or is it going to actually happen often? Um, oh God, that's a, that's a good question. Gosh, you know, Antonio, I, my instinct is my first thing was to say that it's fleeting because I think that the real, it's like, it's like the basis of what your podcast is about, which is why I love it so much is that the real joy is kind of in the in-between and we just don't know it. It's like, it's like, by the way, your book is next on, my husband and I are reading reading books together now and your book is next and I'm finishing. We just read Atomic Habits, um, which is a great James book. James Clear, and, great book. James Clear. And now we're reading your book next, but in between, because <clears throat> I'm a faster reader than my husband, sorry. Um, I uh, I read, I'm rereading a book called Stress Less, Accomplish More by Emily Fletcher, who was a Broadway dancer. Oh, you should have her on your podcast. She has already been on the podcast. Oh, gosh. But, so, okay. So see, yeah. I mean, I haven't gotten to all of yours. So Emily... Um, you know, and I'm, and I'm re-remembering, I've read her book before, but I'm just, re I'm just really getting back to that practice and finding, and, and that the joy really is in the things that we don't, um, that we, that we kind of skip over that, that can be mundane or ordinary. And it really is just about being able to see life, reframe life in this way. It's not necessarily about that you hit that the book becomes a bestseller because that joy is the fleeting joy. Or, you know, I book this gig and then it's just like in the moment you get that high for that second. And then immediately the next thought is like, okay, well then how am I going to coordinate with the childcare and da 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 and it's going to change my time schedule. And now I have to move my family to Chicago and all this kind of stuff. So it's like all of it can just be so fleeting. So my practice is really, and this is my thing with Broadway Arts Community, what we say is really trying to find joy in the work. The joy, joy in the is, work. The joy is in the work. And I love it what you just wrote. The, the, what you just said. The real joy is in between, and that's the absolute truth. And I, I know what you were just talking about. Alexis is mentioning uh, where this amazing Disney holiday film she's going to be in, and on a moment's notice, her and her whole family had to move from Los Angeles to, to Chicago, and it all worked out. But you're right. We can create stress in those moments. I've said this on the podcast before, but a dear friend of mine says life really is an average Tuesday when not much happens. It's not the day you book the major gig of your life. It's not the day you get married. It's not the day you have kids. It's the average Tuesday when not much happens. And how we choose to show up on those days really says about a lot about how we live life. Uh, yep. And on that note, I think you're going to laugh at this because uh, a lot of people, I think they assume that the life of a performer <laughs> is super glamorous. When I, when I worked in television news as a reporter, correspondent, they just thought it was glamour all the time. They assume you're working on Broadway. It's glamorous nonstop. What people don't realize, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, is there are times, for example, when I get on stages in front of 3,000, 5,000 people, and there are moments when those moments, I'm just alive for that whole time. It's amazing. Sure. But there are other times which are actually more frequent when it's kind of like working a shift in many yeah. ways. 
<laughs> so yeah. I'm curious as a performer, have you experienced like, I know everyone thinks this is glamorous, but you're still in many ways working a shift. Oh yeah, totally. Because like on Broadway, it's eight shows a week. That That is no, it is no joke. You got to you got to know how to take care of your body, how to take care of your voice. And you're doing the same thing every night. So you have to also know how to keep it fresh. But you do have those moments like, and it, and you know, it is the, it is like the sort of uh, rush of adrenaline, I think that, that happens, uh, that can happen on stage, like to your point of being in front of large groups of audience. And if you're, I, I do remember moments, especially in a show like Wicked, where like I could see, it, you know, I would maybe see the face of one person in the audience or something would just hit me in the way the show was was clicking that night and I would have these moments where I was like wow I am literally living in my dream right now like pinch myself and a lot of times now I do that where when things are just in that flow moment I will literally pinch myself cuz I go okay Lex like breathe into this moment pinch myself I'm, I'm f- feel this and just not hold on to it because that's where I think some of the tension comes is like you're trying to chase that but like just feel the just live in the moment be present own it be grateful for it and then just trust that like you know life is going to be the average tuesday when you pick it back up and like i and and how awesome is that you know like my average tuesday is a real is pretty damn good yeah i'm with you on that we have to remind ourselves of that you mentioned something you know like again we're talking about what it's like to be on the stage when the audience when it's full and eyeballs are on you and the lights are on Mm-hmm. But what I have to remind myself a lot and what I have to remind people as well is that in my experience, and you're a performer, so you'll dig this, is that the magic happens when no one is watching. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be willing to do the work when no one's out there. So I'm just thinking about the many times you've been on the stage as a as a dancer on Broadway or you've been on television sets. How many hours that you've done the work when there when you weren't on camera, when there wasn't an audience, right? You have to do the work yeah. when no one is watching and really commit to that. I mean, you probably, who knows how many hours that you've invested into your craft over the years. And I think people think once you reach a certain level, you stop, but I know you don't stop learning. Is that fair to say? Oh gosh, no. I mean, that I'm just, I'm fueled by learning and by curiosity. And that's, I think, what keeps me going in my craft is, um, especially as an actor is like the, the fascination with human behavior and storytelling and empathy. And, um, the, the, the camera is so rarely, it, there's so much like the training and the 10,000 hours. And that's, that is what I'm talking about, about the joy being in the work. Because if, if a lot of people who I think don't love class or being in rehearsal or the warm up or the warm down or things like that, I mean, then it becomes too much of a job and too much of a shift and then I think that this business can really burn you out or be so full of rejection that you it's like, what's the point? Because there's so much more time spent in the process mode and in maintenance mode rather than in, I got the gig and look at me mode, you know? So, um, so that's, yeah, that's a, that's a big lesson. That's a, just a lifelong lesson, isn't it? That's, that's a lifelong real lesson. Be willing to do the work when no one is watching. Yeah. Uh, a couple more questions before we get to this question of the best thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with the theme of you being a performer and you've done this mm-hmm. for a long time with so much success. I mean, can we talk about commitment? You know, there are times that I've been a performer in my life and I've done a few commercials and all that. I've done a lot of acting classes and all those things over the years. And 
in many ways, being a public speaker as a performer as well. Uh, maybe being the journalist isn't performing as much, but there is some performative aspects to being a reporter and correspondent as well. But in every acting class I took over the years and, and even improv classes I've taken, the word you always hear from instructors is, is commitment. You have mm-hmm. to commit. You have to be fully present in the moment. I think a lot of professions, uh, a lot of jobs, you can hide in many ways, mm. right? You can hide behind yeah. your computer. You can hide behind certain things. But when you are a performer, it's hard to hide, whether you're like this in training when before the show or especially when you're on stage and the lights are on there. Can you talk to me about your relationship and how you see commitment really diving into a role from a performer's perspective? Mm. That's such a good question. And I think commitment just has so many different uh layers to it, of course. Um, I think that in the way that you're talking about it, I think that commitment is being willing to be uh, private and public for performers. And if you're not willing to kind of fully go for that, uh, and there's like a layer of self-consciousness on top of it, then the audience can't fully release into that moment either. Because Acting Wait, can you, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you real quick. You said being yeah. willing to be private in public. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Well, because, you know, good storytelling is really about, and and it's, and this is when anybody tells a story, I don't care if you're, you know, an accountant and you need to share something with your best friend that's really vulnerable. Storytelling is generally a good story generally has a point of vulnerability in it. It's not, I went to the store to pick up an avocado and I came home and ate it. Like, that's like, okay, you told me a story, but that's not like an interesting story. It's I went to the store to pick up an avocado and I ran into my ex-husband who now has a new wife. And then I came home and ate it. And then it's like, you know, it's like, then you're eating the avocado very differently than you would if you'd gone to the store and not seen your ex-husband and his new wife. Okay. So I feel like, and the scene takes place in your kitchen and you're eating the avocado and you're new and you're like, and your roommate comes in. And so it's like, you have to be willing in that moment to commit to that the privacy of what that scene is going to play out when you're bearing your soul in the moment of of like a vulnerability. So I think the commitment and the vulnerability if you're if you're kind of like one foot in one foot out, you can't really let yourself be vulnerable to that. And as an actor and as a performer, and maybe this is where it's different than a journalist, but I'm I'm not sure I haven't really thought about it. You're kind of just a vessel for the story to really flow through you. And your job is to stay open and then you bring yourself to it in in a way that makes your performance unique because you're you and I'm me, you know? Yeah, what you just said about the, what'd you say, the the willingness to be um, private in public. public. And by the way, let me pause for a quick second. That story you just told, I I got interested. I want to read that (laughs) short story. About a woman who went to go get an avocado and bumped into her ex-husband. Then she came home and saw her roommate. Like, I want to hear what's going through her brain in that conversation. It's so funny. Like, I got intrigued about it. I'm like, tell me more about this. (laughs) All right, Um, I'll write it. I'll write it. But what you're talking about also, of course, you're talking about performing right now. But also what you're talking about, that vulnerability, is how we show up in life. And we talk about relationships as well. How we choose to show up for those people that matter most to us, whether you're married in in a real relationship, your friends, et cetera. And a powerful lesson I learned years ago. Uh, is that revealing, the more we share, the more intimacy that we can create. Yeah. Which is extremely vulnerable to reveal, right? But it makes complete sense that the more we reveal, the more intimacy we can create in our personal relationships. But of course, you with your audience as well, they walk away feeling like they know you and they're like, damn, I want some of that avocado. Yeah, I know exactly. Well, that's why actors like 
people like, for example, Meryl Streep, I mean, it's because you're constantly seeing them in these private moments. So you feel like you know them. Um, and, and that commitment, I think, you know, comes from that there's nothing that's going to get in the way of like, of, of fully inhabiting what this person is going through in this moment in this story. And I think in life, we are, we get real busy and we get so uh, stuck in that hamster wheel, like you talked about, that it's hard to sometimes stop and just breathe into the moment to really even know what, what's going on inside that you're feeling to communicate it. I mean, that happens so much in, in, in relationships and in marriages. And it's really hard to sometimes just stop and go, wait a minute, I'm fully just taking this out on this person because in this moment, I'm actually feeling really frustrated and I'm tired and I'm actually really scared about how all of this is going to work out. And I just need to be honest about that. And right. But so rarely do we say those things, right? We don't no. acknowledge that we're tired. We don't no. acknowledge the fear and things would be so much better if we just said these things out loud. Uh, but that's some adult stuff, right? And that's, that's what being an adult is all about. That's, that's why we seek out. That's, 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 that's adulting right there. That's we can have a whole adulting. Yeah. And you know what? Now being the mom of a toddler, uh, my, my son is 16 months old. And let me tell you, I had a come to come to Jesus moment with my husband where it was like, oh, I am taking on his toddler energy. Like I was literally seeing these raw emotions and this like, and it was so throwing me off balance. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm the parent. I'm the adult. I get to, you know, commit to being like grounded for him to hold the space for him, for his emotions. And what a great lesson to learn that sometimes I still have, I still have trouble holding space for my own emotions. You're not the only one. I can't tell you how many times the conversation, the inner monologue in my head is behave like an adult, not like a kid. Behave oh like God. an adult, not like a kid. That's so and good. For me, that's like act on values and standards, not on your emotions, yeah. right? Emotions yep. are going to come and go. But when you have your standards, which a lot of people haven't identified, unfortunately, if you read <laughs> Stop Living on Autopilot, it will help you do so. Um, if you don't identify <laughs> what those standards are, what your values are, you will act on the whims of your anger, of your fear, yep. of your sadness. I'm not saying don't judge. And it's important, of course, not to judge that sadness, that fear, whatever you're experiencing emotionally. But yeah, I know what you're saying when it comes to dealing with the kids. I'm like, I'm going to show you, kid, you four-year-old kid. Um, oh my gosh. That never works. No. Let's get to let's get to this <laughs> question, though. Now I'm fired yeah, let's up. Do it. Uh, let's do it. I still want to hear about that woman in that avocado coming home <laughs> from seeing her ex-husband. <laughs> Uh, you know, we talked to people about the best thing to happen to them that's non-traditional, that wouldn't necessarily appear on a resume or bio mm -hmm. that has had a profound effect on, on who they are and how they show up today. And I'm curious mm -hmm. for you, over the course of your life, what's one of those best things that has played a significant role in your life? Yeah. Well, um, this was definitely, I think this fits your question because when this happened, this was probably what I thought would be one of the worst things that happened to my, in, in my life. And it definitely has never shown up in a bio or resume. And that's that I was, I was engaged and I was broken up with three months before our wedding. Um, so I, I, and this was about 11 ish years ago, 10 years ago. And I, um, and the way it happened actually was very kind of Hollywood-esque, but I, you know, I, I had a, a, I was in a relationship for four years and I was very much in love with this person. And there was some stuff though, that just was not worked out. And he went to do another show and fell in love with his co-star. And I kind of saw it on stage. I noticed it. I, I could feel it. My heart just knew something was wrong. And sure enough, 
that is what happened. And, and he didn't, he didn't cheat on me or anything. Um, but, but it went from like, I was engaged one day and three days later I was on a plane back to LA knowing that my life was completely falling apart and changing and save the dates were out and I had bought a wedding dress and I'd had a bridal shower and all that stuff. And it was just over in an instant, basically over in an 11 hour flight. I was flying back from, from Europe. And so, um, I thought that, you know, I, I was really, I, I, I lost like a bunch of weight because the way I, my body handles stress is by not eating. Um, and I got, I was, I sort of rebounded, to be honest, I kind of, um, if I'm really vulnerable with your audience, I kind of rebounded by jumping into other relationships and trying to find somebody and, you know, a series of like, you know, I was kind of a little bit all over the place with men and I already have a very, very, I don't have a relationship with my father. So I had major abandonment issues and I was just trying to fill it back up with another guy and trying to fix it until I finally had to really get real with myself, which I really honestly don't think happened until I finally was single for a little bit. (laughs) Um, and I, I had, chance to digest, um, to kind of mourn what happened and to really look inside myself. And I started meditating and took some time for myself. And so, I, you know, I think, I think the thing, the takeaway from something that I felt like was, it was really, uh, tragic. And I think I, I, I kind of prolonged the suffering because I wanted to avoid the pain. And I literally did not know how to feel sad. I, 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 it's almost like I was never really taught to feel sad because I just did everything I could to cover it up. Um, and it wasn't until I felt like I was strong enough to kind of hold the, hold space for these big emotions, like we talked about, but know that I was going to be okay experiencing them because that's what I literally thought to myself. I was so, I remember this now, Antonio, I was so afraid of being alone. I just did not know how to be alone. I was desperately, I desperately was afraid that I was never going to meet a person that could fill me the way. And, and I, I was so wrapped up. My identity was so wrapped up in my ex-fiance. I just, I, I never imagined that I could find somebody else that would fit that. And it wasn't really obviously until years later. And I've done some 12 step stuff. I've done so much. Like it started my journey of real self-development. First, Thank you for just being willing to share all of that. Uh, I've known you for a long time and I didn't know that. So I really am humbled and honored that you'd be willing uh, to share that. Yeah, you know, I don't I'm share sure. it often. So right. Yeah. right. And our audience respects that as well. And like, it means a lot. And I have a couple of questions and the, the, about that. Uh, at first, I love where you are today, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the journey that from then to, to where you are today, happily married, kid, mm-hmm. et cetera. I'm curious in the moment when that was happening, I wrote these two words down. You said it was tragic, which I can imagine it would be tragic to save the dates around, et cetera. For you internally, I'm curious how much was it sadness you were feeling? And I'm also and I'm curious also, was it embarrassment? Because I always wonder what it's like when you know, like you said, the save the dates went out, you have family and friends. So was it a mixture of both of those things when it was happening in real time? Or was it like, like, no, dude, my heart was just broke. I wasn't worried about other people and what they thought and stuff. No, I was definitely there was there was a mix of embarrassment shock, shame, um, major self-blame thinking that I could have done something differently to have kept on, held him, kept him. Um, there was a lot of anger and then it was just kind of, 
a real fear of never finding the one or being being a fear of being alone, real fear of being alone. Right. And I yeah. think a lot of people have felt that fear of being alone. I know I felt that personally myself as well. Mm-hmm. And you said for a while, you were kind of just, sound, sound like you were running for a little bit, running away from the the, the experience and you're just yeah. trying to fill it up, that, that brokenness with something else. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to do, we talked about adulting earlier, uh, what it's like to do one of the hardest things that we can do, and that is to stop running. And that is to yeah. sit and be with those raw raw emotions for you? Was it just a one that is a day that arrived and you're like, I'm going to do this? Was it personal development work you happen to do therapy? Like mm-hmm. what allowed, cause I'm just thinking about that person right now who's yeah. listening and they're like, oh man, I've been running for a long time. How can yeah. I stop? So I'm just, I'm not, not that you're, you're going to give advice to someone, but I'm curious what, what helped you? You know, I think it was, I think it was a combination of friends and family kind of like in some ways, um, intervening. But what happened is it it, it took me kind of hitting what I would say at that time was kind of a rock bottom at that time. Um, I have gone to further bottoms since then, but I think it took- There's a trap door underneath. (laughs) There was a trap door. Um, I think it took, it took the relationship that I jumped into after also really ending really poorly and seeing that I- was so really allowing myself to go, I am unhappy. Like it was, it was, it was coming face to face with my own unhappiness. And then, and then I did landmark for him. And I think it just also was, that's, that was like when the personal development journey started. And I, and I had, I had been like in therapy, but I started to do it a little bit more um, consistently and, and putting money towards that. Like, you know, um, thinking, you know, realizing that that's where my vat, like I needed to, adjust my budget and put more money towards that because I was in a dark place. Um, and then I think it's like, it just started a layer of, of uncovering, uh, you know, once you go down that rabbit hole of like knowing yourself and self-development and healing and, um, growth, I think it kind of just kicks off, you know, I just, I just didn't stop then. I did, I, I did a lot of stuff. And in some ways I think then I started to chase that, so then I had to go back in and it's like, it's all, it's like for me and maybe that's just like, it's just the way I'm wired. Like, it's kind of like I chase something and then I have to rein it back in and go, no, it's all the thing is like, it's all within you, Yoda or whatever. It's like, it's still inside you. Like, and then I chase something else and then I'm like, no, 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 it's all rein it back in. It's all still inside you. And I think I've done that even in, in our marriage, you know I mean? And you know, Chris, and he's just so like steady and I'm so like, ah! you know? And so I think that even in discovering and meeting Chris and knowing that he really is the right person and everything led to, not that everything led to him because whatever, everything led to this moment right here, right now. Like, I don't want it to be like some fairy tale, but, but I do feel like that I would not have been able to commit going back to commitment to the marriage that I'm in. If I hadn't really gone through all of that hardship and chasing and running when I did those 10 years ago and that process that started because I would have just been repeating a pattern and I've I, I uncovered the pattern so that I could heal it so which is powerful like just that willingness to a stop running which for so many of us it's hard to do because we can sedate in so many ways we can sedate with the wrong people we can sedate with the wrong things with 
course, with substances, with Netflix, you know, we can find our ways to dating and that willingness to say this is enough and I'm going to stop running is huge. And I think you brought up really something really important as well. And that is, in my experience, no one who has accomplished anything of significance or found their way through challenging times did it alone. And it sounds like what you were describing is that you didn't retreat to a bedroom and close the door and live there in the dark all the time. At some point you got out and you did personal development work, you saw therapy, yeah. et cetera, but you realized you had to get out to, to see the light. Uh, my last question for you, and this is really helpful. And I'm sure a lot of people have experienced similar things. And, and I know exactly what you're talking about uh, as you're talking about this journey. Is there this feeling for you as you found, you know, and I think it goes back to being a performer as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing that performers go through, whether you're in television, Broadway, et cetera, is there's a lot of rejection in that industry. You can be the most talented freaking person in the world, but that doesn't yeah. mean you're going to get the job after every audition. Yeah. And that can be heartbreaking for, for so many, uh, yeah. but some people go through it differently. So we have that aspect mm-hmm. of the rejection that happens. But as I'm hearing you even talk about what you experienced with this engagement being called off, that I'm hearing this word, the word that's coming in my head right now is I'm enough. Mm, mm. I'm enough whether without that person, I'm enough without me getting cast mm-hmm. in that job. A lot of things are out of my control. So I'm just curious, and I don't even know if this lands or goes anywhere, but I'm, I'm just really hearing you say that the love that you had, you learned to have for yourself and who you are along this journey without all the other, I'm about to get fancy with this word, the other accoutrement, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, I, you know, and I think that people hear that and like your listeners will hear that and it may land with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am enough. But, but the thing is, is that's such an abstract concept. Like there's no, I am enough people. It's hard to identify what that feels like and what that experience is. And I think that's where we hopefully in our, you know, and I think this is a lifelong journey because by the way, we're constantly changing, you know, the only thing that's permanent is change. And so the, I am enough, I think is where the practice of what, what it is that we're doing on an average Tuesday, what are we doing? It's the daily practice that adds up to feeling like I am enough because I think, and especially for moms and any parent, and if you're not a parent, then it's like in your job or it's in your relationships or it's like, we tally so much of where we fall short. I mean, my brain is definitely wired negative. It just is. I have one friend, her name is Erin Cottrell, who she would also be great on your podcast. Um, and her brain is wired positively. Like I literally can only think of one friend whose brain is just like always wired to think the glass is half full. Everybody else is wired the other way. And we, the I am enough, I think is a practice daily of what it is that we can do to go like, I am just going to show up today and do the best I can today. And I have this on my desk right here. And it says, do it anyways. Lost days are worse. Just do it anyways. Do it any days. Lost days are worse. Do it anyways. Do it anyways. Lost days are worse. Lost days are worse. I think that's a a beautiful place for us to end. And it kind of connects to even the introduction of this episode when you said you liked that introduction because it was a reminder (laughs) of who we are. And I think we owe it to ourselves to remind ourselves every single day on that average Tuesday when not much is happening, who we are, what we've gone through, what got us to where we are today, the things that we have overcome, the things that we are pursuing. But I think we forget to remind 
ourselves. And like you said, we, we tend to focus on where we fall short, but we also owe it to ourselves to remind ourselves where we are, are thriving or, and doing good enough as well. Yeah. Well, and, and to, to wrap, so wait, one, one thing, I think that then what that does is like to talk about, and I can't wait to read your book, but like when you're basing your decisions and your actions on your values and what did you say, your, um, standards. your standards, then what it is, is then that like, if you show up every day for yourself, it's the best you can on that day. Even if you said, Oh, I was going to, I'm supposed to run three miles on Tuesday and I barely got like a 10 minute walk, but you know what you got outside. And then we start to shift our mentality. And then the, I am enough feeling comes from because you've shown up for you, you know, and it's from the inside out, not from the validation of the best things that are happening. You know, and then those doors just start open, the right doors start to open that are actually aligned with your standards and values. And boom, then you're like 60 and you're Kevin Carroll and you're just living. So Uh, you know what I mean? Kevin Carroll, I believe, is episode 62, I think, which is absolutely he's so brilliant. Awesome. He's brilliant. Oh, he's incredible. And you're right. You just hit the nail on the head. You, you This is a perfect place yeah. to end. I'm feeling fired up. I feel like we just opened up a new Pandora's box and this conversation could continue, but we'll do that yeah. on another day. Alexis, yeah. I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, we'll have all the information about Alexis where you can learn more about her, her work, and beyond in the show notes. So Alexis, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you for having me. You, you're dope, Antonio. You keep doing you. I'm dope, y'all. You heard it here first. <laughs> dope dad. Okay, bye. Wow, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alexis Kara as much as I did. I truly appreciate how much she shared and revealed I'm walking away truly inspired from that conversation. Hey, I want to hear from you. Every single week, I send out these amazing text messages. If you want to receive them and get some inspiration and motivation, just send me a text message at 310-564-7124. That information is in the show notes. Hey, if you haven't followed the Best Thing Podcast yet, do that right now. If you haven't shared this podcast with family members, friends, people in your community, please consider doing that right now. That's how we spread the message of what we're doing here. And if you have not left a review for this podcast yet, I kindly invite you to do so. I would be eternally grateful if you do so. Okay, in the meantime, remember that the best is ahead. When you work and believe that the best is ahead, things begin to change for the better. Never forget that you have a say in this.